0: You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning, Vine family. If you have a Bible... Go ahead and grab it, and we're going to be in Psalm 13, Psalm 13 this morning. You know, there's days when you feel like you're going to lose your mind from grief, sadness, confusion, disorientation, anger. There there are days in our human experience where there is a collision of emotions that's hard to make sense of. And at times that feels unsustainable. And it kind of seems like for so many of us, and I know because of conversations I've had over and over again, that we've been in a season like that in recent days. COVID-19, isolation, financial stress, the uncertainty of of what's going to happen, race relations. We've had a front row seat to the darkness of the human heart, the darkness of the human condition in the last few weeks. A front row seat to some stomach churning events. Lives of image bearers snuffed out senselessly through the abuse of power. Racism, manipulation that makes you want to vomit. Violence, looting that destroys businesses already weakened by COVID-19. These last few days, it's been, it's been rough for our country, for our state, for our city. And on a more personal note, these last few days have been very rough for me personally. A week ago today, I got a call that one of the men that was one of my best friends, closest confidants, roommate for two years, he took his own life. He was like a brother to me for a season when we were in college. And Chad had a a very severe case of bipolar. A doctor told his pastor that it was one of the worst he'd ever seen. And he battled this for 20 years. He suffered very deeply. And he also made some very poor choices that hurt a lot of people around him. First and foremost, his wife and his four kids. Like, how does, a, how does a collision of, of deep suffering and sin, how, how does that get worked out? How do we make sense of that? We can't. We're left without words. So on top of everything swirling around us in the media, that's been swirling around in my brain. And, and we all have days like this. You just have to live long enough to experience it. So this is where I've been lately. Feels like if I have to watch another black man killed by police, I'm going to lose it. In my sphere of relationships in the last two or three weeks, three men who I know trusted Christ took their own lives. That's just in the last like three weeks. One was like a brother to me 20 years ago. I can't make sense of this. COVID-19 is driving us all a little nuts. Now, if, if we live long enough, it's just a matter of time. The Bible promises this, that we're going to have this collision of deep emotions that drives us a little crazy at times. It's always been this way in a fallen world. Suffering has a way of finding all of us. Deep sorrow, deep anguish. It will find all of us. It's Just a promise. And it's been like this for centuries and centuries. But here's the encouragement this morning. Praise God that that's not the final word. Praise God that we live in a universe where God is not silent. The question is, how do we respond? How do we respond? And I'm so thankful that the Bible is not a stoic book that just says, hey, you got to suppress your emotions and move on. That's not the God we have. That's not the word that he's given to us. You know that our Bible doesn't ask that of, of us, right? I'm so thankful that our God has given us language to cry out to him in our deepest moments of anguish and confusion and disorientation. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at Psalm 13. It says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. So this is what is called a psalm of lament, a psalm of lament. And there's many of them. Some scholars would say a third of the psalms are psalms of lament. And usually they follow a very simple outline that we're going to see here, a structure for us to go to the Lord in our deepest of anguish and hurt and confusion and sadness. The first step is this, be honest with God about your emotions. Bring your honest emotions to God. Step one. Step two, bring your requests to God. And then step three, affirm your trust in God. We're going to bring honest emotions to God. We're going to bring our requests to God. And then we're going to affirm our trust in God. Now let's look at this progression and see how it can help us Today, verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, how long, how long? You hear the anguish in the psalmist's heart. You hear him saying, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I can do it. And this is bold, this is honest, right? Like, God, it seems like you've forgotten me. I've been there. Many of you have been there. How long do you expect me to live like this, God? You ever felt that way? How long do I have to endure this? Sorrow in my heart all the day. That's what he says. You ever had sorrow in your heart all day long, all week long, all month long? All day long, it feels like you just have sorrow and that's it. You got that pit in your stomach that just grinds away at you and will not go away. God, it seems like there's people out there that hate me and it seems like they're winning. There's people out there that hate the things that, that, that we love and it seems like they're winning. See, every time a black brother or sister sees those videos, it stirs up those emotions. I promise you. And, and let me just as a side note, let me, let me just plead with you. Some of us are tempted to go logical in that moment as we see that and go, well, there might be more to the story. Well, maybe there is. There, there always is, but that's not the point. The point is never in these moments of deep anguish and deep hurt and deep emotions rising to the surface that you can't make sense of in that moment, you, you ne- no matter who it is, you never want to go, well, A plus B equals C, so, so why are you so upset? No. That's not Christian compassion. That's not being slow to speak and quick to listen. See, if your kid is playing in the street and gets run over, the first question is never, well, well why was he playing in the street? You probably shouldn't have been in the street. That is dangerous and callous to respond like that when people are hurting. See, what we have to understand is these incidents, these incidents that we're seeing and the reaction to them, it's never in isolation. It's connected to a story. Everybody's pain, your pain, my pain, whoever's pain, is always connected to a story. And for so many of our friends, their is connected to 400 years of brutal American history. And every time you see in the media George Floyd-like occurrences, it reopens those wounds. And it causes so many people around us, image bearers of God, to ask, how long, oh Lord? We're not going to solve the racial tension in our culture this morning, but I'm just asking you to have compassion on someone who's deeply hurting because of their story, because of what they're connected to. If someone is in that emotional state, like the the emotional state we see in the opening verses of Psalm 13, it's not the time to say, well, actually... It's not the time to post on Facebook that, well, you know, your emotions are just kind of inconsistent, and and it's not the time to be dismissive. It's time for compassion and being slow to speak and quick to listen. I'm so thankful to God that he gives us permission to be honest with him about how we are feeling, And I want to just ask you to use this book to give language to your emotions. Like Memorize verse one and two and let these be the words that pass over your lips in your days of deepest trial and anguish and say, how long, O Lord? It's good to say that. So first we see the psalmist bring honest emotions to God. Secondly, we see him bring his request to God. Verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. He's just saying, God, I want you to consider me. Awaken me from this sorrow. Lord, would you remove it? I can't take the wicked people winning over and over again. Lord, would you do justice? We can't have this evil winning. Lord, would you not allow this to continue? Lord, would you please do something? That's his request. He's bringing his request to God. Now I want you to notice something that's so simple that we miss it. I almost missed it as I was reading this yesterday and today. Who's the psalmist talking to? Who's the psalmist talking to? Is he talking to himself? Is he saying, consider the thoughts in my brain? Verse three, is that what it says? No, he's saying, consider, oh Lord. See, oftentimes when we, when, we, when we see what's happening in our culture right now, or we see the, the, the craziness of, of what people endure in mental illness, like I've been thinking about this last few days, the first thought often is, well, what am I going to do about it? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do, is the first thought. Is, is the psalmist going inward and making a strategy to handle the situation? Is he going inward and trying to control the situation? No, he's not going inward. He's going upward. Not inward, upward. Upward. Not inward and staring at himself, but he's looking to the Lord and saying, God, you have to do something. I can't do anything. I mean, what does the psalmist say? Great rhetorical question. Where does my help come from? It comes from myself. That's not what it says. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's what the psalmist says. See, we all think, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? We all ask that question. How am I going to fix this problem? And that's a good question. And without a doubt, there are things to do. Make no mistake, there are things to do. There are things we will do. But that's not the first question. That's not the first response. A better first question is, what can God do? We're going to start there. That's what the psalmist does. That's what the psalmist teaches us. He doesn't go off and make an action plan. He doesn't go off and have a, a list, a to-do list, of how he's going to control the situation. There's a time for that, but first. He's going to go to the Lord, and he's going to bring his request to God and not bring the request to himself. So super simple. Let the psalmist remind us this morning. In your darkest days, in your darkest confusion, in the paralyzing anguish and angst of our emotions, Christians don't try to control the situation first. That does not mean we're passive and lazy. Far from it. But it does point us to what our first initial primary reaction should be. Not inward to my resources and my abilities, but to God and his resources and abilities. We don't cry out to ourselves to figure it out. We cry out to God. So the psalmist teaches us to bring our honest emotions to God. And then he teaches us to bring our request to him, not to ourselves. And then finally, we see the psalmist affirm his trust in God. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. All the Psalms of Lament have this pattern. A closing statement, a closing reminder, a closing form of preaching to yourself the goodness of God. A closing statement of trusting God and hoping in him or waiting on him That's what the psalmist does here. He's acknowledged his hurt, his pain, sadness, and the size of it looms large. But the closing words, check this, the closing words are that God's love and faithfulness loom larger. His love for us has not moved an inch. He saved us. And nothing can change that. In the chaos, we're secure. In the midst of sorrow, we can rejoice because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We can rejoice because Jesus has died for sinners like those out there and like this one right here. We can rejoice because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Look at what he does. He rejoices in his salvation. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, verse five. And then he calls his heart to thankfulness. So much that he wants to sing. See it there? I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he's been so good to me, he's dealt bountifully with me. That just means that God has gone above and beyond what we have deserved in the midst of this train wreck of sorrow that he feels, a train wreck of angst and collision of emotions, the psalmist reminds us to fight for thankfulness. Thankfulness can help calm the raging soul. There's a million things to be thankful to God for if we just slow down and try to look for it. That doesn't mean that we're dismissive of our pain. It just helps us reorient so that the pain does not swallow us up completely. So we've seen the psalmist, just the three, three simple steps. You'll see it over and over again in the Psalms of Lament. Three simple steps. We've seen the psalmist bring his honest emotions to God. And he's brought then, after being honest, he brings his request to God. And then finally, through it all, he affirms his trust in God as he remembers salvation. And that even in the midst of the darkness, there's still things to be thankful for. See, Psalm 13 and so many psalms like it lead the way for us in these times of darkness. I want want to commend the psalms of lament to you. They give you permission to be sad and angry and confused. But in the midst of all that, to draw near to God. That's, That's the whole point. He's still talking to God. His orientation is still God word. And and if there's anything you hear, hear that. I want to close today with, with a warning and a promise. I want to close with a warning and a promise. Here's the warning. In our fight for justice, and we should fight for justice, Just be watchful and careful of your own heart. Because I promise that self-righteousness will be knocking at your door. I promise you that self-righteous pride is, is just around the corner. I've seen it over and over in my heart. It's so easy in our fight for justice to just flip a switch, and turn into the self-righteous Pharisee. And and forget the humility that flows from all those who bend the knee before King Jesus, ruling and reigning from a cross and empty tomb. The, The perspective can so easily morph into, how come those idiots can't figure out justice like I can? Man, I'm just so thankful that I don't sin in the way that those idiots do. See, Jesus warned us again and again about that kind of mindset. Like his most stiff rebukes in the Gospels are for those with that kind of way of thinking. And I want to challenge us to resist it with all our might. See, the only way... You don't act in the same way as those people that you're protesting against is because of the grace of God. My heart has just as much propensity to lean into the darkness as theirs does. And this is not, hear this, this is not a a diminishing of anybody's pain. But it's a warning for myself that man... It's only by the grace of God that I can have any sort of right thinking about justice. See, if I'm honest about my darkest moments, there's no way I can stand in self-righteousness judgment on those I see around me. Now, we, we have to judge things around us all the time. The Bible calls us to it but not in a self-righteousness, but from a a perspective and a point of view that says, I'm no different than that. It's not that I don't have that potential. It's only the grace of God that I would be any different. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a perspective that cries out and says, Father, I can't handle this. Would you come and make all this right? Father, I cry out to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner too. So you can fight for justice and maintain humility along the way. That's what God calls us to. So we have to be on our guard against self-righteousness. Let me give you a promise That's the warning, here's the promise Because Jesus died And rose again from the dead The resurrection of Jesus In history Two millennia ago Is our hope That one day All this will be made right The resurrection Is the historical sign That one day the one day that we wait and cry out for, one day all this will be made right. All the tears will be wiped away. All the tension will be resolved. And the angst will fade into the background and be replaced with everlasting peace. The resurrected physical body of Jesus is a sign that the kingdom of God has broken into history. The kingdom of God with shalom, with peace. The kingdom of God where all things are made right. The sign of that is the restored body of Jesus. That there will be eternal light that shines in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. It's a sign that the future is coming. That our future is coming. So as we hold on as we wait for the Lord and wait for the Lord and wait for the Lord, as we wait for all things being made right, as we wait for the one who is in the restoration business to come, we hold on to this hope that this too shall be made right. We can't see it, we can't control it, we can't manage it, but we know it's a fact as the resurrection of Jesus is a fact. There will be a return. There will be a writing of the scales. But As we wait, we have the language of Psalm 13 to help us as a faithful friend, to bring your honest emotions to God, to bring your requests to God and affirm your trust in God. He is with us and his steadfast love will steady us. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? Who has the power to raise the dead other than you? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If God is for us, who can be against us? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. God, I pray for those this morning that are hurting so deeply. Would you be their comfort? Lord, I pray that your church would rise up as a city on a hill to be a blessing in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. Lord, by your word and your spirit, may you lead the way. Lord, we we need the fruit of your spirit. We need more love and patience and kindness and gentleness self-control or we ask for that Lord or would you give us wisdom to listen to be slow to speak quick to listen slow to anger Lord, there's so much that we need but we do affirm with the psalmist that we are thankful for the salvation that we have and that you have been good to us. We hold on to you, in Jesus' name, amen.